All right, everybody. It's another show. It's another amazing guest. It's the George and George. So, so George, what do we talk about today? We talk about nowhere to go. That's it. That's all. We're just going to end there. Oh, we talk about mental health, how to accept yourself and really how to show up to the world as your most authentic self. We did talk about that. We talked about your life in the Marine Corps, your combat tours, how you and I had a lot of similarities. We might be brothers from DUIs to today. The biggest struggles like having no off switch, uh, a full plate, but an empty soul. One of like the most profound quotes that you got in Death Valley's visit, um, how you were afraid of your emotions, but emotions have the word motion and tactical tips to put them into practice with everybody else. How to give space to your emotions, the Death Valley dance using body and movement to shift how you were talking to lizards, freestyling to the wind and getting lost in Death Valley. Yeah, you summed that up way better than I did. (laughs) And then we cried. I cried. George cried a little bit. And I actually talked about some of my struggles and some of my life as an entrepreneur um, more than I ever have and opened up with George because we have a lot of similarities. I felt extremely safe. And so for everybody, this is a doozy of an episode. It's loaded with nuggets. Have a journal have maybe a tissue and get ready to implement some gold into your life so you can be excited and proud of the fact that you have nowhere to go. So without further ado, let's cue the episode. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good, because this is the Mind of George podcast where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George Show the inaugural recording of 2022. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of inception today because today it's the George and George show. Yep. I really, really said it. It's the George and George show with my brother from another mother, the man where nowhere to go that leads to everywhere. The most heart centered yoked human being that's riddled with layers of depth to be a father, a good human, a good man, and helps people unlock the deepest parts of themselves through their physical body and movement. He is a friend. He is loyal as shit. He is somebody that I will always call a friend I will share a fighting hole with. And we both made the mistake of joining the same branch of the military. So there's only three colors of crayons in our box. And so without further ado, I'd love to welcome my dear friend, my fellow Marine, and uh, the other George in the equation, the king of the book, Nowhere to Go to the Show. So George, welcome to the show. Oh, man. Happy New Year. And thanks, man. You just warmed my heart. You, you, you almost just made me tear up a little bit. I, I love that. it. I love words of affirmation. They fill your bucket, my friend. They fill my bucket. They fill my bucket. So let's just get right into it because I'm stoked to have you. And um, you and I are friends. And so I have no problem sharing this on the air. So for everybody listening, um, this is the first new recording I've done in 12 weeks because I was going through choosing to walk through my own journey, uh, which is super related to Nowhere to Go, which is George's book. Um, I was in the jungle, sitting with some plant medicine, doing some work, really recharging and taking a break. And uh, it's felt like a slump for me to come back out. And so I was like, today, I'm going to the office. I am setting up the studio. I am cleaning what's there. And I'm going to do a podcast. And I had no idea what I was going to do. And then I texted George. I'm like, can you do it right now? And he's like, yes, let's go. And so George is here to get us going and ready to go. And so, George, uh, because I've referenced it quite a few times already, and we'll get into kind of your story, can you explain to everybody what nowhere to go means? 
Oh yeah, such a great question. And it, I think it means so many different things to depending on where people are at. But for me, it simply means that we're always running everywhere but here. We're like chasing something or someone. And in that process, no matter where we're at, the same result for all of us is death in many forms. So therefore there really is nowhere to go in life except to be here in this moment. Of course, easier said than done. But when I started to chip away at the stone in my life, at the layers that I was hiding behind, I realized in order to unleash my potential and to really help others tap into their potential, I had to accept my entire life and see that there was nowhere to go except be here in this moment and stop worrying about what was coming next or what happened. Doesn't mean I can't strive for excellence in life, but I have to be engaged right now. And it, it is cliche, but it really is about who you are in this moment and the journey, not so much of what the outcome is. Well, you know, I want to I wanna give that some merit. Um, I don't think it's cliche. I think it's overly simple. And for me, as someone who just turned 39, I think I'm 39 if I do the math, December of 83. I'm either 38 or 39. I'm not 40 yet. So someone correct me. I think for years, um, I was even convinced that even knowing that the present moment was the place to be, that there was something I had to do to get there, right? I had to check a box. Mm -hmm. I had to follow a list. And even now in today's day and age, like today, like this morning with my wife out of the country, right? Me being solo dad uh, to a 16-year-old and a five-year-old by priorities and school and routine, and I'm like running through checklists in my head and then I get the routine done and I'm like, okay, now what? And it's like, I'm looking for this checklist to do instead of like how to be. And I think on entrepreneurship as well, as we're both entrepreneurs, it stacks on a ton. And so I'm stoked to have you on this because you and I are so similar in a lot of like how we see the world and how we live life. And we had similar backgrounds and coming through this. And so I don't want to lower it down to like it being a cliche. I think it's huge. And and for you to be able to talk about it, like you're somebody that I love to pieces. I've met you in person. You, your words move me. But this concept of like nowhere to go is probably one of the most beautiful and simple concepts that I've ever come across in my life. And the most difficult one for me to be with every single day, um, every single day. And so before we kind of unpack that, can you explain to everybody kind of where this book came from? And like mm -hmm. why you wrote it and what got you qualified to be here? Because I could never do that justice. Yes. So it starts with a story like it always does. <laughs> Joseph Campbell, right? The heroes yep. of your own story. So 10 years in the Marine Corps, did all the things, combat tours, medals, you name it, lost some friends. And towards the end of my tour, there was something inside me that said, I didn't want to do this anymore. I was always... Um, I think even you had similar problems clashing with leadership. Yeah, I knew I was a great leader because Marines would always come to me with problems. Therefore, I knew something was up. I just couldn't get past this leadership in the Marine Corps for some reason. I was meant to do something more. And so the stubbornness in me got into trouble. I got a DUI at a young age coming back from Afghanistan, uh, coming back from Iraq. And at that moment, you know, after almost spending 10 years in the Marine Corps, they gave me the chance like, hey, you could stay in. You're not going to get in trouble. Um, but you're probably not going to get promoted. I was staff sergeant. I was like, wow, you know, spending 10 more years as a staff sergeant, that doesn't really sound that fun. Staff sergeant's like the horrible, the worst rank in the Marine Corps. Uh, so, <laughs> so I just packed up my shit and left, right? Staff sergeant is a horrible rank. It's cool to have, but it's just a horrible rank. Um, yeah, you're, you're, the new, you're the new PFC again. Yes. Yep. And you're like, dude, 
So here I was, I did embassy duty, I did two combat tours, traveled the world, had more experience than most of the Marines around me, yet I was like this little stump. So I chose to get up, uh, completely lost, didn't know who George was, the man in the mirror at 27 years old. And so I just packed up my shit and moved back home to New Hampshire. Feeling lost, I was like, oh, okay, I'm 27 years old, I need to have a life together, I need to do what men should do. Got an MBA, started a family, and jumped right into life. I never gave myself a chance to slow down. And I said, in that process, I never want to be like my parents, divorced, fighting, broke, all that stuff. And in that process, what I didn't realize is I was setting the stone from running away from what I actually needed to face. Because when I left the Marine Corps, I said, which was 2001, I said I would never return to New Hampshire because it would be the death of me. Well, I didn't realize that was true. And so coming back home forced me to sit with a lot of things and I kept running, checking off the proverbial boxes of life, uh, getting big careers, working more, getting married, starting a family, all the things that I thought men need to be. And in that process, George was never true to himself. And so I never set boundaries. I abandoned myself and just became a workaholic and a lost man. Um, me and my wife, as we had, my ex-wife had the baby, we slowly drifted away. We, we never spent time with together. I was always gone. I'd come home, drink and fall asleep. And so there was this process of that unraveling, deep depression, never express, explaining how I felt. Meanwhile, on the outside, I looked great. I was a bodybuilder. I was a power lifter, all these things, making all this money. Inside, I was dying. Yeah. And I never had a chance to can, express it. Can we, can we unpack that a little bit? I'll remember where you are, but I think it got breezed over very fast. And it's so profound about hmm. I had it all together on the outside, but I was dying on the inside. I had no containers, no boundaries, and basically was willingly self-sabotaging a drift and allowing that to happen. So when you say like no boundaries and you never expressed yourselves looking back now from where you are today, what would it look like back then? Like what was the thing that was missing that you do today to give you that? Oh yeah. So there was no off switch. I think even if there was an off switch, I probably would have not known how to use it. Meaning... Uh, I woke up at 3.30 in the morning from dreams when I couldn't sleep, down some coffee, caffeine, power drinks, went to the gym, then yeah. trained clients all day, crushing coffee all day, and then came back home and did it all again. It, the cycle was on repeat. And therefore, in this time, I created this massive chasm, which is a gap, right? The gap between a bridge of worlds. I created this chasm between a relationship that once had love in it because when I came home, I was an empty soul. And I was repeating exactly what I saw growing up work hard, provide for the family and do your thing. So my boundaries were like, I didn't have any because I didn't see it growing up. I thought that's what men needed to do. And so I was an empty soul. I came home just exhausted, didn't set boundaries for myself. So my, but I was jealous of my ex-wife. She was going to therapy, partying with friends. And I was like, you get days off, I don't. And I didn't know that I could just ask for days off or ask for help. I didn't know how to do it. Which even which even deeper because you and I are like the same fucking person. Um, you don't even have to ask. You just have to take them. Yeah. You know what I, you know what I mean? And so like what I, when I hear you talking and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I hear a whole lot of me that I still currently work on today where I'll see my wife and I love my wife. She's an absolute goddess doing her thing, right? Doing all of it. And then it's almost like I'm watching her or I'm watching other people in my life looking at me and I'm waiting for them to ask me if I need something, right? Just to open the door just a little bit for me to be like, oh my God, yes. And like, they're the ones writing my permission slip. Like, I want to go to the gym. Is it okay? I want to go to the office. Is it okay? Like, I need to take four days. But here's what's funny. When I talk to you about this, 
and I reflect back on the last three months, I could think of a hundred times my wife's been like, hey, you should take four days off. Hey, when you're done with that, you should go for a week. Hey, you should go snowboarding more. And it's like my brain doesn't want to connect or hear that. And then I turn into that little boy again, like looking for that permission slip over and over again. And so for boundaries for you, what it, what it sounds like is just being really clear about like what your needs are and plugging into those needs. Cause you said like you would go check the box, you do all the work, but then you'd have an empty soul. And so when you came home, was the, was there another check box? Was it like getting into video games or getting into a to-do list or numbing out? Like, what was that like? It was, it was numbing out through alcohol and, and trying to do more work because at one point I had a very successful training career at the gym and a successful online business at the same time, not knowing at the time that I probably could have separated from the actual gym, but I was so attached to my, my self-worth, which is something I'm still working on personally, was attached to my net worth. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the more I made, the more I felt good about myself. And when that shit came coming down, fuck did I come coming down with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one. Um, <laughs> you know what? I Because we're friends, like I feel like I can process externally and not treat this just like an interview. Like I'm, I'm looking at this like a cup of coffee conversation with you. Yeah. Because, because that whole my net, my self-worth is tied to my net worth. I feel like there's seasons to it. And I feel like you know, pick a sport, right? Like I'll, I don't watch sports whatsoever, but people relate to sports. I'll use the high school model, right? Kindergarten, like great education through 12th grade. Like I'll never forget the first time where I was like, oh my God, my worth is completely predicated on what people think about me. I'm egotistical. I'm disconnected. I'm gaslighting everybody. Like my, my best feedback for myself is there's no space, no space. Like mm. You talk for a sentence and it gives me an hour to fill and make it all about me. Like that's how it was the first time. And then I was like smacked in the face, reality through some pain and a lot of stuff and then learned a few lessons. And I was like, oh my God, I got it. I got it. Now I know that I'm not my results, but I felt like I literally went from kindergarten to first grade. And I feel like maybe right now, like maybe I'm getting ready to leave elementary school. Like I might be on my way to like, you know, middle school or junior high but I, I feel like you said this earlier and about like the nowhere to go. Um, the same thing for me. Like, I feel like one of the biggest lessons that I'm carrying into 2022 is that my self-worth is a muscle. It's something that I get to practice every day. And the practice isn't like, oh, I'm worthy. It's, oh, I went to bed on time. Oh, I did my breath work. Oh, I drank water. Like, oh, I honored my vessel. And so hearing you say this and I'm like, okay, we're three days into the new year. And I'm like, this is the stuff I've been marinating on and just like sitting in. And so it's, it's extremely validating to hear, but I love that you're, you're so openly sharing it. And so now going from where you were to like, I wrote, I wrote this note, um, I wrote full plate, empty soul, right? Something to always have to do, but always empty on the inside to now I would consider you an incredible human, an incredible father. Um, Mm. connected, grounded, emotional, modulating, the range that you experience, this constant commitment and pursuit to yourself from solo quest to hard crap to like making decisions that you had convinced in your brain you would never have to make again. And you're like, no, no, this is a stepping stone. What's different now, like tactically different now than was not there then? Like, what did you add or what do you do or how do you operate to maintain that now? 
Yeah. So the biggest thing is, and I'll put this in a poetic way, I'm just an earth suit passing by on this train of life. My emotions are messengers sent to guide me from darkness to light. And here we go. Crack it can, open, right? Can, wait, can you say that again? I loved that. I wrote it down, but I want to hear it again. Yeah, so I got this when I was in Death Valley fasting for four days. I mean, they call me we'll, Little we'll, Dancing Desert Warrior. We'll, we'll, we'll tell that, that story in a minute. We'll tell that story in a minute. <laughs> so here we go. Here we go. I'm just an earth suit passing by on this train of life. My emotions are messengers sent to guide me from darkness to light. Now just pause. That's why everybody mm. let that sink in for a minute. I am covered in goosebumps. Me too. I love it. Now you can uncrack that open. I just thought I needed I needed that pause for dramatic effect. That thing has to marinate and land. It has to like reverberate through people's souls. Like if you're listening to this and you didn't get it, I want you to rewind it and I want you to listen to it until you feel a goosebump in the middle of your big toe on your right foot. <laughs> I'll be specific. I want you to listen to it so you can feel a, a goosebump in the middle of your big toe on your right foot because that uh, that moved me, man. Go ahead. So the biggest thing there is I was afraid of my emotions, like most men, like most humans. I didn't realize that emotions have literally the word motion in it. They are come into our lives to to share or or give us a signal to do something. And I was always good at moving my body but I treated my body like shit. And I'm sure you can attest to this because I've seen your process and your story. So essentially here we are, we've been trained to fight hurt, but fight hurt, I think the wrong way, meaning fight hurt, meaning you just go until you can't go anymore. Now, when I realize my emotions are here and then I feel something, which is not easy because it just never is. Most people don't know how to play with their feelings or feel or talk about them. I give them a space and I give them a space specifically in two different ways by moving my body or by writing those two things moving my body i don't beat myself up anymore i go on a hike i do some breath work right those ways not going training in the gym that's a different training all right and then i give myself the space to write i do what's called I close the loops. If I'm feeling something heavy and I can't move my body at the time or can't get away to nature, I sit my ass down and I say, okay, what am I feeling right now? I'm going to name this anger, sadness, grief, shame, guilt, all the things. And I just play with it and create a story with words and poetry. I love it, man. I There's like a lot to unpack in that, but yes, I've abused my body, heard just for everybody listening, validated. He's correctly there. I love the emotions have the word motion. And I think what you said is so profound, but I'm going to unpack it a little bit, if you don't mind, when it comes to like entrepreneurship. So you said like, when you're, let's say you're emotionally charged, right? You're triggered, you're feeling depressed the way to the world. What, what it sounds like is you give it space. We talk about this a lot in our world, in our coaching programs about having stillness or creating space, or as my dear friend and best friend, Stephanos, I love you. I talk about you on every podcast, you dick. Um, <laughs> And you're not going to listen to this anyways, but your assistant's probably going to tell you, but I love you and I'll have you on the show again since I was just crashing in your house. Um, you know, but the best piece of advice he ever gave me when we met a long time ago, I would always call him in breakdown, right? Because I was afraid to break down alone, right? It's like so weird. Like we lived in this world and I, you and I were in for similar amounts of time. We both made the rank of staff sergeant 
until I was a gunny select and then they booted me and, you know, all that stuff. And like, it was such a solo game, but it was a team game at the same time. But in the, in the Marine Corps, I remember I would suffer in silence. I would suffer in <laughs> silence. Right. And it was almost like that's how it was. And then as an adult now, like I'm petrified to even be with my feelings. So I reach out for validation from other people like George, tell me it's okay. Steph, tell me it's okay. Lindsay, please let me know it's okay. And Steph being the wise man he is, uh, whenever that happens, he tells me to F off. And then I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, does it hurt? I'm like, yeah. He's like, we'll sit with it longer. And he's like, are you uncomfortable? Like I am. He's like, sit with it longer. And I was like, what do you mean sit with it longer? And he's like, witness it and sit with it until it passes. And when you talk about your space, what it sounds like you've nailed, and I know you talk about this more and we will, when you talk about giving space to your emotions, you're, you're witnessing them. You're allowing them to come up. You're allowing them to come out. And it sounds like your best two tools are movement and writing, right? Having some sort of modality outside of you. And so I wanted to say that and I wanted to hit that because the other point that you made that I think is so important that I had to learn is that movement is not self-punishment. Movement is not torture. Mm -hmm. Movement is not deciding like, oh my God, my day is over. The IRS asked me for a $100,000 check this week and I almost shit my pants, which really happened. And this is happening. Oh God, I'm going to go feel better. I'm going to go hike a mountain in 10,000 feet of climbing with no training, no prep or whatever. I've realized that as an entrepreneur, as a human, as a former competitive athlete, that I can't choose workouts or anything from a place of any reaction whatsoever. So when I'm in an emotional state, I do exactly what you say. I either go to a stillness practice, I go to a walk outside. Like right now, it's 18 degrees out in Montana. For you Canadian people, I think it's like five, uh, five Celsius outside. It's beautiful blue skies. I only wear shorts. I go for a nice cold walk and like really get ground back in to what's here. Um, but when you talk about this and, and I want to make sure that I heard this correctly, when you witness those emotions for you, you're just giving them space. You sit with them until you've processed them out. Like you write until there's no shame left or you have a story or I'm, I'm going to venture. I'm going to lead this question a little bit. The goal isn't to have an understanding as to why, but it's to be a witness to what is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, I don't try to go deeper into why or where they come from. Mm -hmm. I just, I have just found it in my, in my, in my short years of life, almost 38 now, holding everything together. So actually, let me rephrase because we're doing this as a conversation. So if we look at our, our life in three ways, the mind, the body, the heart, right? The mind works to solve and create problems, right? The body, it, it reacts to the constriction of like our minds and our hearts. In the heart, it works to create intimacy and openness and vulnerability in our lives. So I just know and can feel based probably on how we were trained in the Marines and also life experience and stuff that when one of those is out of sync, I need to just get it out of my head and, and out, right? Mm -hmm. And I never used to write. The first way to do that was just yell really, really loud at the top Yeah, of like somatic releases, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then when did you start writing? I started writing when Trevor Bohem told me to, to write about my feelings. And you know what I told him? I said, fuck you. I'm not writing my feelings. Like, fuck that shit. <laughs> it was like when I met my wife and my wife's like, hey, man, like, baby, you should really like look into like personal development training or doing some leadership training. And I was like, fuck that. I read books. Yeah. And she's like, oh, you read books? Like, she's like, you should go to therapy for your PTSD. I'm like, no, I just read books. Like, that was my whole defense. And here's what's funny. I'd never read a book. 
ever. I would buy them. Like I had four agreements from Don Miguel Ruiz, like sitting on my counter for like three years. So I had a, I had a clause out. Everyone's like, are you working on yourself? I'm like, yeah, haven't you read this book? Like I have it. I never said I read it. I just said I had it. Um, so yeah, I definitely have been into that. And so you started writing your feelings. Did you notice um, when you, okay, so first you resisted it. Like F you, I'm not writing my feelings. Right. Which obviously there's some stuff to explore there. Um, yep. And then when you started writing, like, what was that like? Did you feel good? Did you feel a relief? Did it come smooth or did it, it was like, did it take a practice? Cause like for me, I can write my feelings sometimes. What I tend to do is I tend to get words and then I'll like write the words. And then a week later, I'll have another thought and I'll go expand on it. But I struggle sitting down with a pen and paper. I like to be moving, like walking mm. in a treadmill or sitting in the sauna. Like the things that I share with you that I write all come in the sauna, bro. Like that's like my writing cave. It's like I'm doing a sweat lodge and it comes out. The only problem is I'm limited because my phone shuts off about 20 minutes in because it overheats. And so I got to get it out in the first part. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's um, it just like a created a a ritual and a habit in a routine that gave me the habit of practicing it. But before that, it was very sporadic. Yeah. So for me, the practice came like just learning any type of new ritual or habit in life. I had to replace old routines and habits that were no longer serving me to get to where I needed to be. So it first started exactly like you said. Mine would be uh, yelling at a voice memo. It'd be taking a run and then yelling at the top of my lungs, like like somewhere where I knew I was a little bit more free to do it. Yep. And then I got then I just started, okay, I'm gonna write, I'm fucking angry. Well, that felt really good. I wonder what else I could write that might feel good. Yeah. I fucking hate so and so. Oh, okay. These are just my thoughts to my feelings. And before I knew it, like words were pouring out. And mind you, this all came after I had a gun to my head. All right. Mm -hmm. So like there was some very, very deep rooted trauma in there that was able to come through, through therapy, through working with men's uh, coaches and all the things that helped me. Yeah. I'm going to unpack that. Cause you know, uh, by the way, I think the only thing missing is that we weren't born on the same day. We're pretty, mm. we're pretty close the rest of the way. If you haven't realized we're the same age, same time, same rank, same amount of children, same pattern, same beliefs same background fitness i was like oh we, we we're molded we're molded very correctly my friend very correctly mm. aligned um when you two questions one i want to close what's there before i open another loop since we talked about closing loops so let me close this one so would you say because i heard you say this and and i think this is it it sounded like you know in the beginning when you started writing it was sporadic right but what it sounds like is that you were just honoring that moment when you felt like something was coming up, you gave it a voice and then you didn't try to force it any further. Once it was released, did you, did you like, okay, I'm angry. And you would write down like, oh, I'm angry and you'd feel better. And there was nothing else to write. So you'd go to the next moment. Is that fair? Yeah. So I have a, it's, I look at my, my phone. It's awesome. I have so many voice memos during those times. Yeah. Yep. Like one is like a minute long. One is 30 seconds. And yeah, I haven't listened to them. I'm sure they will make me cry. And like, they, I'm, I'll keep it there for right now. <laughs> totally. totally. I was asking because I think it's so powerful. Um, and I, I know this is probably true for you as well, but for me speaking, a lot of this recovery, I was suicidal as well. And I went through that and I was convinced for years that like the level of healing had to match the level of trauma that I couldn't potentially feel better in 10 seconds or from one conversation or one session of breath work. And I'm going to tie this all the way back to the, the thesis of your book of like having nowhere to go. 
But what it sounds like is that in that moment where he's like, write down your feelings and you started writing, what it, you started to give voice to the check engine light in your vehicle. And there were, there were times that like you'd go from anxiety for weeks to it being relieved in a one sentence, then being present again to move. And so mm-hmm. would you say, because like, I think that's something that I work on. There's a lot of times I feel bad and wrong where I'm like, oh, I had this feeling and I wanted to write something. And then I got a sentence, but I felt better and I wasn't called to it anymore. And I'm like, okay, leave it and let it be in that fleeting moment to moment to moment. Would you say that that's like a good practice that helped you? And then it developed as you kept going? Yeah, it did. Because in that process, I didn't realize it now. In retrospect, I was learning how to let go. And because what do we hold on for? What do we really hold on for? (laughs) We hold on to a story because it gives us a sense of control, even though we want to change. Yeah. Right. That's the benefit. I'm holding on to this. I, I feel angry. I feel sad. I'm going to come up with all these bullshit stories because somewhere in our bodies and our hearts or wherever, unconsciously or subconsciously, whatever you want to call it, we're holding on to it because it's the only story we know. And if we let go, then we're theoretically in the unknown and then we don't know what to do. But we're always in the unknown, right? Well, if I don't have a story, then I can't control how you view me or think of me or what my self-worth is. And so then I'm just forced to exist and I don't know how to do that. Yeah. The biggest thing, like meeting you, I know we're on a different perspective, but like over the last year or so, like learning to let go of this story of like, I will become X, Y, Z in this book. This is so cool. I wrote a fucking book about my life and now I'm just living my life. Right. And for anyone listening, I'm not a millionaire. I'm not making a crap ton of money, but I'm pretty fucking happy. Like most days of my life. And you're making a difference. A massive, massive yes. difference. Personally, on my life, just from being in my life and a friend. And here's what's funny is, um, oh, I'm probably going to cry, but I haven't recorded a podcast in the last like 90 days because I knew I was going to take some time off. And I knew I was going down to the jungle and doing some exploratory stuff. And I'm still processing my journal, you know, four nights with ayahuasca, seven days with breath work and intentionality. And the biggest, the biggest thread through all of it. There were two threads. Uh, Number one was rumination is the root of all resistance. Rumination Mm. is the root of all resistance. And then I asked myself, why was I ruminating? And I was ruminating and consistently ruminate because I feel out of integrity with my voice because there's these threads of like what people think of me and what it looks like. And through COVID and, you know, the world, I'm, I'm bummed. I just said that fucking word on the podcast, probably going to get whatever ghost hit through all of it. There was this massive thing in this. We're going to be tying loops together where everybody called me. George, help me. George, help me. George, help me. George, help me. And I helped everybody hoping that somebody would say, how can I help you? It was never on anybody else to ask to help me. It was on me to say, hey, I need some help as well. And so for about a year and a half through big struggles and almost bankruptcy and losing companies, I didn't say anything. I went back to working out like crazy, posting on social like crazy, getting back into the events like crazy, and then never really honoring what was underneath it. And when I committed to go do the medicine again, I couldn't come to this office and record. And I figured it out when I was there. It's because there was no integrity in my voice. Because what I was sharing wasn't truly how I was feeling. Now I was creating content. I was excited to do these interviews but even my voice is shaky right now because I have struggled and I do struggle. And, uh, you know, I'm working on my marriage and I'm working on being a better father. And I went from multimillionaire to nothing to back to millionaire to friends that are no longer friends. And, 
drug across the internet for trying to make a difference. And I'm like, all of this is normal and it's okay that I can feel it. But like this being the first podcast I do back, like I'm disappointed in how I've shown up, but I also love that that's how I see it because I have so much opportunity. I want to bring more compassion to the world for myself. I want to bring more understanding. I want to let go of expectation. And uh, I've been wrapped up in like, I've had this image. I've had this label. I've been the best of the best. And then it's like, okay, cool. Well, I'm in a different starting line now. I'm in a completely different starting line. And this podcast has been one of the most powerful and profound things I've ever done for my own self-care and accountability because it's in my brain every single day. Did you do a show? What are you thinking about this week? Why aren't you sharing it? Why are you afraid to share it? Why are you avoiding going to the office? It's like my accountability coach built in. And um, I'm still right now figuring out how to put words to my voice from in an integrous form. I have a lot of things to share, a lot of things to share. And I feel like right now, most of them are liabilities because they haven't been processed enough to come out without an agenda. And so mm. I'm starting to record again. I'm starting to talk again. And I'm being very intentional that I'm not sharing anything unless it's a fully baked idea or I'm honoring that I'm in the middle of a process. But I'm working on finding that integrity in my voice again to take this action so I don't feel stuck in this rumination cycle over and over like there's, you know, I always have somewhere to go or nowhere to go. So that's, that's what's coming up for me right now. I think uh, I shared this, this song with you. Um, you're carving to the strength of the stone, brother. Chiseling yeah. away till your pain is known, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. Just for everybody listening, George is like the master of like, so George was at one of our events and George will be in my life forever. Um, but we went on a break. I don't remember. It was like a lunch break. And you came back and you like wrote a fucking poem at lunch. And you're like, is it okay if I share it? I'm like, of course you share it. And you stand up on the mic and everyone like wants a copy of it. And I'm like, how do you even like do this? And then I was like, I opened my phone. I'm like, I remember when I wrote this one thing and it took me like a week and I've only written one thing. I want to be able to do that. <laughs> oh, but it was so beautiful. And then you had a song and then you do this work. So actually let me close the loop real quick. So we talked about Death Valley earlier. So can you mm. tell everybody... Because like, I'm, I'm going to summarize so far because we're 32 minutes in and I think we have about 77 open loops for everybody listening right now. And so <laughs> that's what happens when you get two Marines together. Marine. I told you there's only three colors of crayons in our box, right? So you have Marine to DUI to 10 years to realizing you're getting out to having addictions with alcohol and depression and then drifting away from your wife ex-wife when she was pregnant and then getting the support from men's groups and perspective to where you felt an inkling or an itch. And I'm going to ask you a question about that. Do you remember the moment or the thought? Because we can relate here. Um, where you realized that you weren't going to take your life, but you had to do something different because you couldn't suffer anymore? <sighs> Because I've never talked about this, ever. But I struggled so hard, but I was always so afraid to take my life. And I don't think that I was afraid. I think that I wanted something different and I didn't know how to ask for help or do something different. And so instead, I did really bad things like became an addict and overdosed, but just enough to get attention because I didn't know how to ask for help. And so I would love for you to shed some light on what that was like for you. Yeah, 
so you know it was, it was interesting because for a long time you know, this obviously might trigger some things for a lot of people out there um i felt like i had a sense of control over life and it, in those moments where i i, I contemplated death I, I felt like it was the only time that i i did feel like i had control of everything so there was many days from you know losing my best friend in iraq and thereafter of dancing with this this grim reaper not sure what it was of finding ways to get completely wasted to where i almost would black out multiple times to look to not even coming home some nights when i was married and just stopping at the end of the bridge wondering if what would my body would be like if i was found down below all the way to one morning i woke up completely hung over and had the gun to my head so i was contemplating taking my life for a long time i just never knew when or what and waking up hungover i felt like a loser i felt abandoned i felt everything just come down and that moment i can't recall everything but you know i pulled the trigger a thousand times but my body turned numb and it's not and everything came down my face i thought i was dead and my daughter picture of my daughter right on my lap which is still in my car something told me that it wasn't over and uh I, I went in my phone and I, I called everybody. One person picked up. He lives in California. He's still a really good friend. And he said, I'm not letting you go until you 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 show me your home safe and you get home. And from there, that was it to get help. And he was like, you, I'm not letting you go at any time until you get help. And from there, I got help and pulled myself back up. Jeez. So would you say for you, it was your daughter? It was definitely my daughter. And something yeah. at yeah. that moment just told me that I wasn't done. Like, regardless of how hard life is like that, yeah. that little human wants to see me in her life. It's, it's so I've never talked about this, but it's, um, I feel like my son was the catalyst for me to see that it, it was me knowing that like I had something to do, but I couldn't see it. I had to borrow, I had to borrow the perspective of my son. Like I had to borrow the future of my son, the life of my son. Um, to borrow a little bit for me to think like, oh, I have a purpose and a reason. Um, you know, like I don't talk about mental health a lot on the podcast. I talk about my story, but not certain parts of it. And like, we never really dive into it. But like, I think it's important for people to know like, well, it's 2022 right now. I was in the psych ward in 2018. Like I was in the psych ward in 2018. Like everybody saw me. I was a New York Times bestseller number one app like i was at the height of it and i was even consulting already and all these stories that you hear me doing and then on a thanksgiving i had to go check myself in because it was so bad and we were waking up loaded pistol in my mouth like threatening to take my life i was using it as a term of manipulation as a, as a form of manipulation for my wife and for my kids and it wasn't intentional like i really felt that way but i also didn't have the courage to do it or like the, the follow through because something was there, but I didn't know what it was and know how to ask for help. And the demons were deep. And I, I, I think it's huge. And so like, George, I just want to thank you for having this conversation with me in the middle of this, because I don't ever talk about this stuff and I feel incredibly safe to talk about it with you. Um, mm -hmm. But I also think that like, we'd be lying if we didn't pretend that like the entire fucking state of the world right now isn't affecting people's <sighs> mental health. And for me, this is very cathartic and it's a very supportive. Like I feel energized right now, even in the midst of tears and having anxiety in my body. And I think we need to talk about it more. And I think we need mm. to be open about it, that it's okay. And it's normal. 
and so I want to thank you for sharing that because it helps me a ton and it, it helps me relate to you more. And obviously we know each other very well. Um, and for everybody listening, thank you for listening. Um, we're not done with the episode, but I just think it's, it's really, really important. And, and the part of my takeaway for 22 about having integrity in my voice is also when I feel something, just saying it. And it's something that I struggle with because now the other side of that, and um, you just got back from Death Valley. And so we're going to reverse tell that story because I'm, I'm going to assume the question I'm going to ask you right now is going to have a takeaway, but it's going to come from after. And I want to tell you to tell everybody about what you did. But now in the, in the life that I live where I pursue health, I pursue consciousness, I pursue healing through every modality, right? I've done EMDR, I've done cognitive behavioral therapy, prolonged exposure, I've done stem cells, I've done... I mean, I, you name it, I've done it. I think I've done everything, including plant medicine, breath work, stillness retreats, silence retreats, things like that. And now the really, really interesting part is I've been on both ends of the spectrum. I've been on that end of the spectrum where I overdosed on pills because I didn't want to die, but I took just enough to know that it was a 50-50 chance. And I, of course, mm -hmm. made it, right? And then I've been on the spectrum where I've had loaded pistols and rifles and things in my life. And then I've been on the other end of the spectrum where after a breathwork session, I felt the most alive I'd ever felt in my life, loving, grounded, present. And then to the point where in the breathwork, I realized that this body was just mine to borrow and it wasn't my soul. And in any moment I could go and be completely happy and content. Like I had so much joy and bliss in my body and in my soul during that breathwork that I was like, if this is it, this is it. And I was happy happy knowing that my kids would feel loved and my wife and the people that knew to now I've experienced both sides of the spectrum. And most of the days I feel like I struggle at the bottom to realize the top is attainable and I'm doing practices to, to find a way to middle be in the middle so I can modulate back and forth. But you know, for me, once I quote unquote took the red pill <laughs> and I was like, Oh, there's a lot more to this. Now I feel like when I'm not in those moments and I'm not in that breath and I'm not in those like magical moments. And for any of you listening that have ever done breath work or even yoga or a stillness retreat or plant medicine or something where you've had one of those experiences. Now I feel like in the beginning I would struggle because I was depressed and wanted to take my life and I was working to get away from that pain. But now I have moments of doubt and struggle as I'm trying to move towards that pleasure and knowing what that looks like. And it's just a different struggle with a different destination, with a, with a different come from, but it's the same work. And it's, it's really a challenge for me sometimes. It's really a challenge for me sometimes. And so I know when we, before we hit record, I was like, George, what's one thing if we don't talk about, you're going to be sad about. And you're like the struggle. And I'm like, I don't talk about the struggle either. Like, I don't talk about the fact that, you know, it's 11 a.m. And I've had it on my list to come to the studio and clean it up and set it up for weeks. And I'm here today because it's been a struggle. And it, it's hard to explain that, like, I love the podcast. I love every one of these episodes. I love this interview. But there's something in the gap between them that feels like I'm cemented in sometimes. And I have to, like, step by step by step. And so now in that frame... What was your biggest takeaway from Death Valley? I died out there, brother. Yeah. You texted me. Like, I did. I think that was like the first thing I said. Like you were one of the, you actually were the first person I texted. Um, essentially, so the ancient ways say 
if you fast for four days and four nights on the mountain, you will get what you ask for. Yep. And I went out there to die. It was the most scared in my life I have ever been. I'm going to say that again. If you don't know my background, you can just check it out some more. But it was the most scared I have ever been. Because I knew that George had to sit with all of George, despite writing a book, with himself for five full days with no distractions, no food, no one around. Talk about nowhere to go, brother. Yeah. Oh, you want to, like, you say that now and I get anxiety in my body. I'm like, sometimes I'm happy I'm hydrated because peeing gives me a, an escape. I'm like, oh, I got to pee real quick. I get to take a break. I'm like, what are you taking a break from? You're just peeing. Like, what were you doing? Like, I, I get it. So for everybody that's wondering, George went, uh, what would you call it? A, a solo quest? What, what is, how'd you describe it? They call it a, a vision fast. A vision fast, right? So you went into Death Valley and you did five days in Death Valley, four days and nights, uh, no water and no food. Or did you have a little bit of water? No, we had water. You have to okay. have water. Like yep. you just won't survive in the desert, right? So totally, I didn't um, know like what time it. Is. So like you had water, but no food and nothing else. It was just water, you stillness, silence, or were you communicating with each other, or are you alone, alone? No, we we're alone, alone. So essentially, there was eight men uh, in Death Valley, and you know we were there. We did about ten days total, but uh, you know there's ceremonies and stuff like that. And then in the middle, it's our fasting. So we rise like early, early morning before the sun's go up, beautiful stars, galaxies, stuff like that. Scared shitless because it reminded me of Iraq and Afghanistan, mind you. Um, and so we go, we, we they do a beautiful ceremony. We cross the threshold and you're off and you're all alone. Me being the adventurer climbed to the highest peak that I could see. <laughs> I called it, I called it death rock. Yep. And uh, up there I could see everybody, even though like I wasn't really paying attention. But for some reason, it just it made me feel safe. So that's what I did. Mm. Others thought I was probably crazy because it was really high. But I I went up there anyways. Yeah, you would. I'm sure we'll unpack that in a couple of years when you figure out and you ask why you did that on the next one. <laughs> but um, yeah, so th that was it. And I called it Death Rock. And I knew that I wanted to go out there and just let go of everything I could. So I found that rock. And uh, every day, well, the first day was packed with rain, which it never rains in Death Valley. So that was a blessing. And rather than try to be a Marine and survive, I got naked and danced in the rain. And just yes, sat there. sir. I was and, hoping you said and, that. And, and got rained on. And it was crazy. It was awesome. Uh, and then I fell asleep. So I don't remember much of that day. And day two was um, exploration mode. So got up really, really early. Stars still out. Climbed the rocks. Had a little bit of fun. Talked with lizards. Talked with hawks. Um, and just sat there on top of the rock. And uh, started freestyling to the wind. Yeah. It was awesome. Oh, that's so incredible. <laughs> and uh, I, that's where I started letting go. I was like, I'm letting go of this. And I threw a big rock off the top. I'm letting go of that and threw a rock on the other side and just let go of everything. I'll tell you, what do we do as kids? We throw, we have tampers and stuff. This was like, it, it just brought me back to just letting it all go. And so that's what the days were. I wrote about this on Medium. If everybody wants to check it out, there's five posts about it. If you, um, will you send them the links, send me the links and I'll have the team put them in the show notes too. Yeah, that would be great. Um, but it was awesome. And so I knew I was going to die. So I did it all. And then the last night we call what's called a vigil night and you have to stay up all night, like legitimately no sleep for 38 hours on the final days of your fast, which is really hard by the way. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so I'm going to tell you what I did. 
My, my dumbass got lost. <laughs> of course a Marine would get lost. The only one that knows survival gets lost. So oh, yeah, I but I was horrible at land nav, bro. I was horrible at land nav. I can survive, but I'll get lost all the time. So here I am. I got a, a headlamp on. It's freezing cold. It's windy. In the, it's like 40 degrees. Wind's on top of the mountain. I'm like, this is a bad idea to be on top at night all by yourself with the wind like this. So I try to find my way down, and I do, and I get lost. And I'm walking around Death Valley in the middle of the night, no clue where I'm at, end up finding back uh, to my original spot. And I sit there just like death, like a, like a night watching all night, just, just sitting with everything that I've done, appreciating everything I've gone through and all of who I am and what was about to come through. Um, realizing like the Bhava guy, as Akita said, like entitled to the fruits of the labor, but not the outcomes after that. I don't know those exact words, but that's what that did for me. And then on day five, I walked across the threshold, a new man. So what's one thing that you left there and one thing that you took home? The, the thing that I left there was shame and guilt. Yeah. Yeah. And the biggest thing I took away was my gift with words. Man, I have been writing like crazy since I got back. Totally, bro. Totally. And, and for anybody wondering, you don't have access to that poem you wrote at our event. I don't have it in front of me. Do you have it somewhere close by? Of course I do. Let me do just it. Pull, if, just, just pull, it, pull it up while, while, while I talk for a minute. Um, uh, all right. And so now uh, I want to I wanna ask a question about that. So you were in the desert, right? You were there. You left guilt and shame being two of the biggest ones. We might be twins, bro. We could probably go to therapy at the same time. And they'd be like, oh, I'm talking to the same person. Um, oh, yeah. And then, um, so you left guilt and shame, right? And, and, and I actually, at a very similar time, was in Costa Rica. I just got back from Costa Rica, sitting with Mother Ayahuasca again. And I left, um, you know what? I have my journal right here. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> it's the first time this I love it. Open in front of anybody. But I left, for me, like, I look at this, right? Like, I struggle to write with words a lot. Like, I feel like I can't process and I get frustrated because... I don't feel complete. So I'll talk them out. I'll talk them out loud. I look in this journal and I scroll through, I don't know, only like maybe eight or nine pages. And on every page, at least three or four times in giant capital letters is integrity, 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 integrity. And, um, you know, one of the things like my first night, like capital letters, I wrote this on the medicine, which I'm surprised I can even read my handwriting. Um, Stop lying, only speak certain truth, absolute truth, and only the truth. And then the next line mm -hmm. I wrote, stop shining light on the things you are not. And it was this like, just flow over and over these like one liners. And so for a long time, when I would go to EMDR, I would do breath work. I'd go in with an intention, right? My intention is to leave guilt and shame, right? And I'm like, cool. And then I go in and I have a release, right? Sometimes it's somatic, right? Where like I'm throwing a tantrum and I'm moving out of my body. Sometimes it's throwing a rock off the mountain. Sometimes it's freestyling to the wind about guilt and shame and I leave it. And then it took me until this year to realize that that's only the starting line. And then mm -hmm. once you leave it, like you left your guilt and shame in the desert. Now the work is flexing that new muscle or practice to keep it away. And so now that you're back, what are some of the things that you're doing to integrate that into your life to make sure or to practice bringing that new thing, whatever that new thing is, and leaving that there? Like, I would love to know, like, tactically what some of the things you're doing are. 
for for the to leave shame and guilt behind. Yeah. yeah. It's so uh, I don't really so to for someone who's good with words, I'm not really sure how to put it into words because it's my practice. Um, but I, I've gone back to we're gonna say integrity with discipline. And what that means is if I want to speak my truth, as in what you just said, if I want to show up to the best version of myself and help others, then I cannot let the fear of what's going on in my life right now at this moment dictate how I show up. Meaning I'm going to wake up at four in the morning and write because that's my only space where I'm not distracted. My daughter's sleeping. There's no emails, no text, no nothing. And I do it, right? I used to run at that time, so I know I can do it. Like I've just gone back to the things that make, that are actually hard. Even though when I met you, I remember you're like, no, that's easy for you, but it kind of is, but it's kind of not. Um, <laughs> and it just, it, it's the needle movers, as you say in my life, that give me confidence to approach people and tell them what I can do in, with, with my life to help them, if that makes sense. I love it. So what I what I want to summarize because I want everybody listening to to realize like I can give a hundred quotes here. Jocko, discipline equals freedom to everybody for having routines, the most successful people ever. Um, what it sounds like is that an intentional practice and then honoring it regardless of feelings is the biggest thing, right? Like making that commitment. And I'm gonna do a podcast on mental um mental hygiene because like it, it's been on my it's been on my brain because like the kids have been on break and my wife has been out of the country my daughter was out of state so it was me and branson and i have a five-year-old and a five-year-old has a lot of needs but also is very expressive oh, yeah. and then i didn't realize how codependent i was on his schedule like how i was using his school to kind of numb out a little bit because i would have extra time in the day when i have a five-year-old on me all the time it requires a level of intention and presence that in my opinion, by most adults, we are not called to. Other adults do not call us to the same level of presence that a five-year-old does, where every moment he has something to say, a feeling to express, a want, a need from the most curious place ever. And it stretched me hard. And mm -hmm. it stretched me hard. And then I realized like, oh my God, like we've been struggling. And I was like, why were we struggling? I'm like, oh, because I wasn't getting up with intention. I wasn't getting breakfast with intention. I wasn't making a plan for the day with intention. I was kind of like, I wasn't going with the flow. I was kind of quitting and like being a witness instead of being the driver. And so seeing my five-year-old has been like huge. So last night I literally like, you're going to laugh. I was like, okay, got to pack my clothes for tomorrow. So when I go to the gym, got to get my food out of the fridge. And I knew everything I needed, but just simply putting it on paper this morning I woke up, we were out the door on time. He ate breakfast. He was dressed. I have everything. I got to the office, did the meetings, did this podcast. But what it sounds like, and I, I'm going to hit this even more so, is that you would believe that like routine and discipline around that routine are probably the biggest gates of freedom to you and, and integrating that in. Yes. I mean, if we look at this, uh, I'm no expert. Your friend Stephanos is like masculine, feminine energy, right? Having a ritual in your life is a grounded energy. That keeps me in integrity. Yeah, thousand percent, thousand percent. And yeah, I was just with Steph, and he's not going to listen to this. I'll tell him I'm. I say his name twenty five. I'll give him credit. He might listen. He does listen sometimes. And uh, I was with him. I stayed at his house for a week. Uh, I was with him and Christine, and like we were out shooting from seven a.m. until ten p.m. Oh, yeah. one night, and then cleaning weapons, and like we were exhausted. And I'll never forget the next morning. He's like, "You want to train?" I'm like, "No." And then I sat on the couch and he's in the garage putting like 55 minutes of work in. And then I just went out and sat with him 
And then it was beautiful though, because I didn't make myself wrong. I honored what I felt in that moment. But then I was like, man, I could have trained. And I was like, so what? Yeah. I could have, I couldn't have, I didn't. We still had a moment, but like he sticks to it and he was on it. And it, it, it really, really is that routine, that ritual. It's the intentionality behind it for me, because I think for me, I make my routines out of a place of possibility and they're a protection when I get into a place of scarcity. Yeah. And, and I think, I don't know if it's like the mentality we have, but training our bodies can become a double-edged sword for people like me and you. Yep. Temperance, I think, yeah, no matter how hard I try, there's still that edge. Like I just signed up for a hundred fucking mile race in May. Of course you did. See, I ain't doing that. So I'm further than you because you're out of your fucking mind. You are out of your mind, <laughs> out of your mind. Like I look at that stuff and like, even Lindsay, Lindsay's like, babe, you'd be good at ultras. And I'm like, and then the, the, that edge of me, I'm like, yeah, of course I'd crush it. And then I get on the treadmill and I'm like, you know what? I don't have it anymore. I'm good. I'm good. I'm okay with the dull. I'm okay with the dull edge now. Like I'm okay being in the 80% or in the 95%. Like I don't need to be there. Um, but it's definitely a practice. Like I, I'll tell you right now, like right now, like I'm just moving every day. Like when we get off this call, like I'm going to do some pull-ups, some kettlebell swings, and I'm going to go for a 30 minute walk. And like, I just want to feel good. And that happened in Costa Rica as well, because I was in PT. Like for those of you who don't know, like I've been in physical therapy since 2005. Like that's the only way I can use my legs, like traumatically injured, blah, blah, blah. But I've been in recovery, but always something hurts. And I literally had this new story now that even though I healed and I beat it, that now always something is always going to hurt. And I was like, whoa. And I was like, it came from the edge, right? Because I'm like, I have to do cardio. I have to train. I have to lift heavy. And I went to Costa Rica and I don't train when I do plant medicine or breath work or any of it. And I came home and I was like, my PT called me. And they're like, you haven't made an appointment. And I was like, I literally on the phone, like they were standing in front of me, looked at my body. I'm like, nothing fucking hurts. And then I was like, (laughs) Oh, nothing hurts. And she's like, do you want to come in? I'm like, no, I'll call you. And then I was like, nothing hurts. My come from now is nothing hurts. What can I do to keep this? I'm going to move gently. I'm going to do small sets. I'm not going to go crazy with weight. I'm going to do recovery. I've been stretching, which is crazy. I don't stretch. I'm like the Mm. antithesis of stretching. Stretching is like pulling teeth with no Novocaine for me. I just, I don't enjoy it. I'm like, I've been doing it. And so it's really, really interesting. The other thing I wrote, George, because I want to share this, and we have a couple minutes left. I just looked in my journal. All the notes on page one and two were from breathwork, pre-any plant medicine. And oh, yeah. I had two pages of notes from breathwork, and from the plant medicine, I only had a paragraph each from each night. So the breathwork uh, gave me more. This was another one. I don't need to or benefit from having all the answers. I benefit from being curious and having a zest for life. Hmm. Not as poetic as you. You're way better as like a thesaurus than I am. Um, This was another one. Uh, I've been tolerating mediocrity, accepting stagnation and pursuing self-sabotage with more effort than pursuing growth. Hmm. And then um, lead with curiosity, excitement, and compassion. This one's a good one. The only expectation I have is that it's up to me to lead and guide. And to stop advocating clarity because of my fear of creating it. Mm. Yeah. And then um, I wrote in huge letters, who am I without the story? Oh, I've done that. And my answer was two words, liar and scared. Mm. 
and so I, I say that from a place of love. Like one of the things for me is that I can't go anywhere different until I acknowledge where I am. And even in this world of like, I live in a pretty crazy world with digital marketing and money and celebrities and fame and, and this world that's like connected when it makes a difference, but connect disconnected in what we chase as goals. And it's so easy to fall into the trap and I fall, I, I embellish, I lie, I exaggerate. And that's part of my integrity of like, just owning that, like, I'm the best in the world at what I do. And I've helped a ton of people, but yet I also struggle on the same day to do it for myself and other people. And not everything's a, a winning game. Not everything is a, a batting a thousand. And so it's, it's been really, really crazy. It's been really, really. Well, crazy. I think that, I think that makes you a better human, man. You're a better father, better lover, better creator for all of that. I mean, that's really why I found you. I was so sick of marketing gurus and geniuses. And I was like, all right, this guy's a Marine. He's, you know, I'm going to trust him because he's a Marine. And then you literally were no bullshit. Like you're no. not like, I will promise you X, Y, Z and certain amount of things. You're like, no, man, this, this is going to require a lot of work. Yeah. And it yeah, requires and I, like the struggle. It's, fu it's funny too, because like I talked about the grade school thing earlier, like there's levels to this, like everything you've shared is applicable to every single entrepreneur, right? The, the struggle, the meaning, the, where do we spend our time? What do we create? There's nowhere to go because in the world of entrepreneurship, there's a never ending to do list. It's unlimited. Except the truth is, is that it's always going to be there. And it's who you are in relation to those things that creates the result. And I've hide behind, I've hid behind coaching, not intentionally, but I got to a point where I'm like, I'm coaching it more than I'm living it. Oh crap. I did it again. I was like, oh, that's why I've been addicted to getting on so many coaching calls. Cause instead of sitting with my own shit, I'm getting on calls and telling everybody how to fix theirs, which is me avoiding mine. Mm -hmm. And it's this integrity piece, like this podcast. If you had to ask me out of everything I've ever done in my life or business, what would go on my headstone, like business-wise, the only thing I would want is this podcast. It is something I'm so proud of because it took me nine years to start. Nine fucking years. I still have the microphone next to me that I bought to start the podcast and I will not use it on this podcast because it, it was an $800 microphone and I've never used it. And it's still sitting right there on the floor. And it's always going to be there as a reminder that I finally did it. And like, it's okay. Oh, yeah. But I think there's a lot of correlations and stuff in there. So I want to, I want to ask you a couple more things because I want to be present to time. Um, so holy moly. So got out of death Valley, let go of guilt and shame. Really proud of yourself. Now wrote a book. You're an incredible father. You're still pursuing everything that you're doing, but you have these practices and these deep practices. And I think one of the beautiful things that you nailed and that you help people do is that you talk about how this edge, how we can use physical fitness in our bodies as a way to disconnect, but you love helping people use them as a way to reconnect. And so mm -hmm. can you kind of tell me and, and give us the overview of like what you do and how you do it? In my opinion, you use words to get people's attention, to write a permission slip, to accept themselves, to then move into your world where you can give them the tools and help them be accountable to get to and explore self-love through the practice of discipline, routine, and movement. You just said it better than me, but I used to do it the other way. I used to just talk, preach fitness, 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 show my six bags, promise results. And over the last few years since leaving the gym, I realized that works in a gym. It gets you clients, but I was out of integrity. So to, mm -hmm. to be back in integrity, I started speaking my truth and sharing my story. And it was the, the first time I've ever done that. So yes, now I use my story as the way that show others that when they are feeling lost, broken, unheard, unseen, it's time to get out of our, their heads and into their hearts, into their bodies by first taking care of their body, right? So the three-phase process, we get you moving, we get you feeling good, breath work, 
all the things that allow you to start to feel what you're afraid of and what you might be stuck with, the truth of why you can never get results wherever you're at. And then we start to integrate the all three of the mind, body, and heart and slowly start to do that because that's where most people are stuck. They don't take care of their body because there's so much in their head and they let the external world influence their internal world. Then they're disconnected, caught between the past and future, far from the present. Therefore, they're lost. Right? Sweet. So I'm going to ask a rapid fire one. So thinking and hearing all these people, you can help people. I'm going to tell you guys how to DM and I recommend everybody. I ask them for advice all the time. I haven't asked him how to get a six pack yet because I know the answer and I don't want him to tell me because then I have to accept that that's the answer. Um, and I know the answer. But when you when you think about that, we're in a new year. I personally hate New Year's resolutions because they're temporal in mm. nature. I'd prefer principle-based changes that kind of create your ability to choose what you want to choose. And so what's one tactical thing that anybody now who's like, okay, I'm working like crazy or I'm working out like crazy and I'm not working like crazy and there's all there like, what are some tactical things that people can put into practice today that will help them reconnect with their mind, their body, and their soul, like you talked about earlier? Mm, tactical is, and I'm not going to tell you to work out. I'm actually going to tell you to, to, to give yourself permission to set clarity in your life, meaning like who you are right now, where is it that you want to, who and where do you want to become? Without that, you're never going to be able to go where you need to go, right? So maybe this year you're starting the year, you you make a name to your year on based off who you want to become at the end of 2022. Mm. I love it. So then take that and like, for me, like where I go to is like, hey, no matter what, like your day can be crap, it can be whatever, but put it in your calendar to do five minutes of breath and like put it in mm. structure and protect it with everything, right? And like, for me, like movement, right? It's so easy for me and you to be like, all right, cool, let's crush a wad, let's deadlift heavy, let's put 500 pounds on the bar and squat it. And I was like, you know what the hardest thing for me to do is to walk a mile. Like to walk, because mm -hmm. every ounce of me wants to run, wants to put a crazy incline on it, wants to put a weight vest on. And I like don't even allow myself to walk. And so for everybody listening, I'm gonna challenge you to answer, I would, I would say this way, if you think about yourself 12 months from now, right? And you are at a point where everything in your life you're content with, but you realize that you are who you want to be and you have the choice to do any of it. What are some of the habits and behaviors that that person exhibits and how can you do them in a minute a day now? So then in a year from now, they're a part of your routine and maybe take two minutes, five minutes a day, but you're an absolute expert in it. And that, that would be where I asked that question. So George, I'm going to yeah, ask you, no, that's, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say like on that, on that note, so you named 2022 and then that gives you a tangible thing to look at every single day you wake up to remind you of what you need to call in your life. Right. Yeah. And that tends to create more integrity and consistency in your life. Yeah. Cause I think like tying this into your book, the, the secret to thriving in nowhere to go is having the utmost internal self-confidence, which only comes through having integrity with your routines and practices and keeping your thing, your body, your soul, your mind as in tune as possible. And like last night, my daughter came home from the airport and I went to start her car and clean it off for her. She had three flat tires, three. Oh. And the car's only been parked for eight days, but we live in Montana. So it got cold. And I was like, God, I didn't make it my intention when my daughter was out of town to check her car to move it. And so instead I had to go fill these three tires and I'm like, where else do I not notice things that are in my life that just need a one second of intention a day that can prevent the tire from going flat. Right. Cause when we go mm -hmm. to get in the car and the tires flat, we get upset. The car won't drive, but yet 
the reminder's been going off for weeks to go get them rotated or to add air to them. And so I'm in this game of like proactively protecting it now. And so um, I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire questions to end the show. But before we do, um, I'm going to make a glowing recommendation because George sent all of his copies of his book to our event and everybody took them. There's the only book that I didn't have left over. Um, it's absolutely incredible. It's his story. It's called Nowhere to Go. Where can they get the book, George? They can get the book from me digitally for $1 or they can get it from Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Digitally for $1. So I'm going to have everybody slide into your DM. So what's your Instagram? Uh, underscore George Colantis because there's a million George Colantises. <laughs> really? Yeah. There's a, there's an author out there. That's a Greek author that talks about political science and all the stuff he's been there for years. So, okay. So, <laughs> so spell that for everybody. So underscore and then G E O R G E and then Colantis. How do you spell it? K-A-L-A-N-T-Z-I-S. Okay. So shoot him a DM on Instagram. Just say nowhere to go or book, and then he'll know where you came from. It's underscore georgecalantis.com. And I'm going to say this anyway. If you have any questions, you need any advice, ask him anyways. He will answer. I promise. Okay? So I, will. I highly recommend getting the book. I have a copy. I have a signed copy because I'm special, and I'm okay saying that. Um, I'm sure you can pay him enough to get a signed copy too, but I wanted to feel special in the moment. So I have a signed copy, but it's actually on my desk over there. So thank you for that. Thank you for this. Thank you for sharing this. We're going to have to do a round two since we still have probably 45 open loops that people are going to drive me nuts about, but you have to go get, oh, your yeah, I'll from, do it. you have to go get your daughter from school, but I want to, I want to hit you with a few rapid fires and I didn't prep you at all. And I've never done this, but right. I think this is fun. And I want, I want to ask you ready. Let's go. Okay, cool. What would your friend say is one of your superpowers? I, I am open-hearted and I care a lot for them. Open-hearted and I care a lot. Okay. Um, do you collect anything or have you ever collected something to an obsessive level? Oh, yeah. Pogs when I was a kid. I wish I still had them. Though. I oh, my God. Pogs. <laughs> I remember those. Oh, I never understood them, but I collected them anyways. Okay. Um, what and now it's people... journals, I would say. Yeah, now it's journals. What what do people never ask you, but you wish that they did? How are you really feeling inside? Mm. Ah, that's that's a good one. That's a good one. And I'm going to challenge everybody. I'm going to challenge everybody today. We meet people all day, like the baristas, the stores, the everything. And we say, oh, how are you? And we exchange pleasantries. I'm going to invite everybody to go deeper today. And somebody says, fine, or great, be like, cool, and go deeper. Be like, yeah, but how are you really feeling? Because I would love if somebody- And to add on that, how can I support you, you know? And how can I support you? I love that. Um, what's the one thing that you want to get better at? Money. Money. My relationship with money. I'm still learning how to detach my self-worth to my net worth. I love it. I love it. What book have you reread the most? <sighs> That's a- Great question. It's going to be, um, <laughs> stillness is ah, key by Ryan holiday. That's a good one. Stillness is the secret. I will, I will say that I completely agree with that one. Um, a couple more, uh, what's on your nightstand. Ooh, there is a journal uh -huh. and <laughs> And a few sex toys. <laughs> okay. I love it. There we go. What is the most useless fact that you know? Most useless fact. Pain is weakness leaving the body. Oh, the my fuck? God. I feel like I was tattooed in my soul. I can never do it. Oh, I can't do it anymore. 
Oh my God. And then what's one of the things that you're afraid of right now? I'm afraid of abandonment. Mm. Mm -hmm. Meaning that, you know, my daughter might not love me. You know, people might not love me. I'm I'm just afraid of that. Yeah. And we'll end on a, we'll end on a, we'll end on two up notes. Number one, (laughs) uh, what would be the worst to buy one, get one free sale of all time? Oh, jeez. Buy one, get one free. I don't even know. That, that you stumped me. Um, okay. My first thought was a spam, spam. Spam? Spam? Okay, cool. And then the last one. Uh, what could be your theme song? Uh, could be a theme song. <laughs> Oh, you know, I'm going to pull this up because I've been listening to it a lot. Um, it is right now. I got to look at my phone. I've been listening to this um, this guy called Miso, and there's a song called Wolves, and it just hits me hard. So. Miso called Wolves. Will you text it to me? Yeah. Text it to me. I will. Okay, cool. Cool. So this has been fun. Um, do you want that? Do you want that quick poem? I could read it in like oh, a minute. Thank you. That was the open loop I was needing. So we're going to end with this. So I'm going to let George take out the show. So just for context, George was at the event at one of our events and he wrote this and I absolutely love it. So let me recap before he closes. Cause the moment George is done, we are ending the episode. Okay. Get his book, nowhere to go. Shoot him a DM on Instagram, underscore George Kalantis, underscore G E O R G E K A L A N T Z I S. Let him know that you appreciated it. If you have any questions, please send him some love because we opened our hearts today. And then I'm going to wrap the episode with this. So there's no better way to take out this episode than to let George read you the poem leader out. So George, the stage is yours. All right. So this is called The Search. I saw the sun peek through the morning blinds, a gentle reminder that I am very much alive. Most people have no idea how to feel their own lips, eyes, ears, heart, and breath. They run too fast and try to cheat death. I guess things could always be worse. A lost poem, another verse, hate, violence, anger, and disdain, protection mechanisms stamped on their hearts by lost generations in pain. Out there, people searching for something they will never see. I wonder how their hearts would feel if they took a few moments to stop and breathe. Maybe they would see all the vibrant colors around. Between surrender and resistance, the truth will be found. Because our bodies hold the keys to the freedoms we seek, the center point of all life happens the moment we breathe. How could our lives be different if we surrendered this search? A part of you has called you here to listen to these words. Give yourself permission to be all of who you are. In this moment, you drop out of your head and into your heart. If you need help remembering what it looks like to be free, it looks like forgiveness. It feels like release. In this moment of surrender, you have to believe. When was the last time you met the primal with the vine? To find what you seek, you must open your mind. Meet yourself in this moment longer than the breath before. Need nothing but the love for yourself. You are worthy of this life, I am sure. And there's no better way to end. So without further ado, George, thank you. And let's cue the outro. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Mind of George Show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. 
Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.